We're in a series of looking at Jesus followers and what defines a follower of Jesus, who they are, what they do. And um, we're in a verse that at least for a couple more weeks will unpack how we're to love Jesus. Um, and in Luke 10, 27, that we're going to read again here in a minute, we see Jesus affirming that we're to love God with everything we are and everything we have. And um, as I heard someone else explain uh, not long ago, we, we're to love God holistically. That means completely, whole, the whole person. And uh, that's kind of what this verse is uh, talking about that we'll read, our whole being. But the Holy Spirit does break this up into four distinct parts for some reason. And so we're looking at each one of those. Last week we looked at the heart, and we said the heart was an attraction. That was one way we described that. Um, and uh, today we're going to look at the soul. The other two parts that we'll be looking at in the next week or two is uh, strength and mind and how we're to love God with those individual parts. Difficult, I think, in some respects. You'll notice I'm using God and Jesus interchangeably. Um, that should be a, a no-brainer, I hope. Uh, Jesus is God, and so we, I, you're going to hear me say, love Jesus with all your heart or love God with all your heart. It's the same thing, okay? And just so long as there's no confusion here, Jesus and God are the same. Um, so we'll be using that interchangeably. All right, so look again in Luke 10.25 as we read through these verses um, again. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And verse 27, he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So we've talked about how important it is to love God with our everything. It seemed to be a very critical question that was asked by this attorney. But here's the thing. If we talk about heart, that's one thing. You, you know what your heart looks like, yes? I mean, you may not have seen it, but you have a, you've seen pictures of what a heart looks like. And you, you have this uh, icon of a heart that doesn't look anything like a real heart. Okay? Um, and, uh, but we have an idea what the heart is. But what in the world is your soul? Can you identify your soul? Can you put your finger on it? Got any, I mean, that's the tough one, right? And yet we're commanded to love God with all our soul. How are you going to do that if you don't know what that is? I mean, you, you, you may not know what your mind looks like, but you know what your mind does, right? You know where your mind goes. You know how your mind functions, kind of. You can, you've seen pictures of brains, and you know, we kind of understand, at least in today, that uh, all that thinking goes on up here, okay, inside this cranial cavity, that, that uh, thing called your brain does all the thinking. So you're, not, you're, you're familiar with at least your mind, and you have some concept of what strength even is. Yes, you've, you've seen strength in action. You see the results of strength. But what in the world do you do with your soul? What is that? How do you define your soul? How do you love God with all your soul if we can't figure out exactly what the soul is? I think that's the first challenge that we have. The English word soul, back to some technical things, but I think it's maybe helpful. The English word soul shows up 277 times in 264 verses in my particular translation. According at least to the Bible study uh, software program I use. I didn't go count them all, nor did I read them all. I better confess that. I didn't read every one of those. I read a lot of them, but I didn't read every one of them. And so it would be a good thing to do to try to get a good picture of what the soul 
is being said about. But here's the other thing. That's just the English translation for soul. The word soul, or, or the Greek word, um, is you, it's translated into English differently. It's not always translated as soul. Um, if you remember from our study in Genesis, and I think it was 2017, um, something that we talked about was a uh, Hebrew phrase, rather, uh, called kainafesh. Anybody remember anything about kainafesh? We talked about what kainafesh was. Uh, kainafesh is the Hebrew description for living beings with breath. Okay? Living beings with breath. Now, that kind of gets a little confusing maybe for some, for some of us. Uh, it's the conscious life. So kainafesh is translated as soul. And so the Hebrew word is most often used referring to breathing creatures. It refers to life. So this may help in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay. Um, and, uh, and man became a living being. So that, that describes what the soul is. The soul being the living being. Um, here's another verse, Genesis 35, 18. Um, Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin. And if you remember the story, she's dying in childbirth. And it says this in Genesis 35, 18. It says it came about as her soul was departing. And then in my translation, in parentheses, it says, for she died. Okay. Uh, that she named him Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So the part of that is that her soul is departing, meaning she's dying, her very Life is exiting her body. That's, that's a little bit of a, a couple of biblical descriptions of soul. But it may or may not surprise you that God has a soul. Leviticus 26.11, God speaking says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. And then later in verse 17, he says, I will set my face against you so that you'll be struck down before your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. Did I say so in there? I was going to say, I better go back to Leviticus because it was in there somewhere. Uh, maybe I don't have time to chase that down. Maybe I printed the wrong verse in there. I know it was in that same chapter, or at least I thought it was. Did I read 15? I didn't. It was 15. Instead, if you instead reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my area... Oh, no, that's your soul. It's in there again somewhere. I read it. I did, but it's in there again. Oh, well, anyway, God has a soul. You'll have to go dig that up. That'll be your homework. Go figure out what, I, what verse I was supposed to print up there. Uh, but God has a soul. Now, 11. It's 11? Oh, I read 11. Yeah, I thought there was another one. Yeah. There, okay. Thank you. Then I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and heap your remains on the remains of your idols, for my soul shall abhor you. So there it is. Thank you. So we see that God has a soul. I would speculate that part of our being made in God's image is the fact that we have been made with a soul. That's the eternal part of us, along with the 
spirit, and it's kind of hard to dissect the two, but the Bible tells us that the, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and is powerful enough to divide the soul and spirit, right? The bones and marrow, those, those things that seem very difficult for us to figure out where they would be divided, but it is something that is internally in us. Um, so I, I think of it this way, and, and uh, y'all may uh, disagree, and maybe we should talk about this, but I understand the soul being the very essence of who you are. And the spirit is dead when you're born. We're, we're born with a dead spirit, as I understand it. Uh, the spirit is that part which communicates with God. It's dead until you're reborn. That's why Jesus talked about being reborn. And when he was talking to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. What has to happen is the spirit has to be born so that we have the ability now to communicate with God again. Sin is what killed the spirit. Jesus is the one that gives us life to the spirit. When, when the Holy Spirit moves in and rebirths our spirit, now we have the ability to have communication with God. The Spirit breathes new life into us when we accept Jesus as payment for our sins and, and He rebirths our spirit. Animals are believed to have a soul. They don't have a spirit, again, as I understand it. So there is a difference between them. That's why the animals were not sufficient for paying for our sin. It took a human being. It took Jesus Christ to do that. And uh, Jesus putting a spirit in us, and you know we could get into all kinds of things with that. Uh, in the New Testament, the word is, if I pronounce it right, it's suke. And, it, and from what I could tell, it was used every single time as soul that I, was, that I found. And I think that's where we get our word psyche. So if you get down to it, it is the immaterial part of man that is held in common with animals. And again, animals may have a soul, but they don't possess a spirit. So your spirit takes your soul to heaven if you're a true Jesus follower. And I've also heard it described this way. You have a body. You are a soul. I think it was Neil Anderson that said, you can chop my arm off and I'm still there. You can cut my leg off and I'm still who I am. You keep cutting away, you'll get to me somewhere in there, but the idea is that we have a body, and we have body parts, and we live in this body, but there's a difference between the body that we have and the soul that inhabits the body. The soul is basically the very center, the very essence of who you are, and I've also heard it described as your personality. Now, by the way, um, I don't know, maybe you heard about this. I thought this was interesting. It's a little quirky and very strange. I'll tell you that up front. But there was an experiment conducted many years ago, back to 1901. A Douglas McDougall uh, believed that the soul had weight, and he, so he wanted to figure out how much the soul weighed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, goofy, but interesting. So he attempted to measure the mass lost by a soul departing from the body. I remember reading about this years ago. I had to go find an article on Wikipedia to find out more detail, but it lined, outlined the experiment. So he, he attempted to measure the mass change of six patients at the moment of death. One of the six subjects, one, one of the six. First of all, the sample size is horrible. Six? I got to have, like, okay, you don't care, but like as an appraiser for the county, I have to have eight sales before I can rely on anything. Six isn't even a reasonable sample, okay? Anyway, six took six bodies, six people, 
One of them lost three-fourths of an ounce as he measured it, 2.13 grams, okay? I'm sorry, 21.3 grams. And so, you know, scientists obviously rejected it for a variety of reasons, but it still gained some recognition. And in fact, in 2003, uh, there was a film that was uh, titled 21 Grams, which references the experiment. So in 1911, the New York Times reported that McDougall was hoping to take photographs of souls. I don't know how you do that, but he was planning on it, but he didn't, he didn't get to continue his research into this, and he died in 1920. So I don't know, that whole thing is weird. Not to be in Ripley's, believe it or not. Maybe it is. And the soul is that immaterial part. We can't, you can't put your finger on it. It's not anything you can grasp necessarily. At least God has not revealed to us anything that says that the soul has something you can get your hands on. It is just the immaterial part. It's the very essence of who you are as a human being. It encompasses, I believe, your personality and it is you. What, what, who are you? Uh, that, that is probably best described as your soul. So, that is the deepest part of you. So how do we now, do we understand what the soul is, kind of? Sort of? All right. So how do we now love God with all our soul? Well, here's how I like to think of it, I guess. It, the soul, since the soul is the breath of life, as the Bible describes it, loving God with all our soul, in my mind, would be loving God, this is an easy one, with all our life. If the soul is life, and it is, then if we're going to love God with all our soul, we're to love God with all of our life. Does that make sense? So I got Bible verses to back that up. Heart and soul, by the way, are often combined together in Scripture, and they're listed as that with which we are to seek and serve God. And so Deuteronomy 4.29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. We read some of these before. Last week we were talking about heart. Um, Deuteronomy 10.12, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But uh, to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I think we can see how you can serve God with your soul, can't you? With your life? Um, Deuteronomy 11.13, it should come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, and I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. So several times, a lot more than I listed here, uh, the Israelites were commanded to obey God's commandments with all their heart and all their soul. So we have the heart, the attachment, to God. We have the soul, our life, being attached to God and serving God, loving God, obeying God with all our heart and with all our soul. I would think that would mean that we would stretch ourselves and we would go to the ends of the earth, frankly, to, to uh, spend time with Him. If our life is to be centered around Christ, what would you withhold if you were loving Him with all your soul? You wouldn't withhold anything, would you? you're going to love God with all your life, you're going to give him everything, then you're not going to withhold really anything in my mind. In Psalm 42, 1, it says, um, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, what do you, what do you think of a deer panting for water? It, desperate. It's a perfect word. Desperation. How often do we get desperate from God? Listen, when there's not a crisis. 
We're desperate for God when there's a crisis. But I don't think we're very desperate for God when everything's going well. I think it's easy for us to forget to serve God with all our life when everything's going all right. And I know I'm just as guilty, so I can speak from experience. I'm probably an expert at it. I can serve myself a whole lot better than I can serve God when everything's going well. Because right now I don't need God, right? If everything's going okay. And yet that would not be loving God with all of my soul, with all of my life. And then if you tie in Psalm 119, 131, where the psalmist said, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. How often do we long for God's commandments? Take my life and let me be, right? Leave me alone, that kind of thing. So we don't, we don't pant for God's commandments. We would rather let him just, just, you know, save me and let me do whatever I want. I don't, I don't want to have to follow a bunch of rules. I don't want to do a bunch of stuff. And yet God, again, tells us that his commandments are not burdensome. But we see the word pant here again, which the psalmist is desiring God's commandments, knowing that there is life in the living God. Why would we not want to love him with all our soul? Wouldn't you want to? I mean, the God that gave you everything... He gave his life for us. It seems reasonable for him to go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this exchange thing. I'm giving you my life, but that means you've got to give me yours because yours is a mess. I want to fix yours. Right? Your, your soul means so much to me that I died for it so that I could make you whole so that you could spend eternity with me in heaven. Gosh, I wish we had time. One of these days that... And I need to study this a lot more. I'd love to go over just all the things of heaven. Just, I think it would blow our minds if we really understood. I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, maybe James McDonald. Somebody said, if we understood all the things about heaven, we'd be looking for an early off-ramp. Because <laughs> we're just like, let's just get out of here. I think it's going to be phenomenal. But it would, it's just amazing when you think about it. So if... If we're going to love God with all our soul, here's one of the ways I think we can accomplish that that should be fairly easy uh, for us to uh, meditate on and think about. And one of those things is to thank God for our life. Life is a gift, yes? yes. I mean, life is a very precious gift in God's eyes. And so one of the ways that we can love God with all our soul is to be thankful, to be content with what he's given us, to be thankful for what he's provided for. He gave us the breath of life. That is a gift. That's a phenomenal gift. Not only did he give us the breath of life, he gave us his life. That's an even more amazing gift. And when he breathed his Holy Spirit of life into us, that is a, a crazy gift. And so we could be thankful every moment, I think, of every day for that. God has given us an incredible gift. Jesus said in Mark 8, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What are we willing to sacrifice for our soul? Is there anything that's worthy when our soul's at stake? And yet, most of the world chases after anything but that. It's trying to hang on to life, trying to hang on to stuff and things and, and everything that is contrary to what Jesus talked about. Justin Hoffman, the pastor, says, 
To love God with all our soul is to love God, number one, with our lives. And he quotes Albert Barnes. He says, to love the Lord with all your soul, then, means to be willing to give up the life to him and to vote it to all his service, to live to him, and to be willing to die at his command. That's just giving your life up. Then he also says, we're to love God with our afterlife. I never thought about that honestly. But he puts it this way, to love the Lord with all your soul requires loving him with a vision that transcends our time on earth and surrenders our eternity to him. And finally, our aspirations. He did make an interesting comment. The word aspiration also contains the idea of breath, right? And speaks of how intimately entwined our goals and our ambitions are in this life. I just hadn't thought of it in that respect. So what are you aspiring to? Which led me to think about what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to be like at the end of life? What do I want people to say about me at the end of life? Like, do you, what, Think about that. What do you hope people will say about you at your funeral? Ah, I was a great guy. She was a great gal. She was a lot of fun to be around. Great partier, you know. What do, you, what do we want people to say? Would it not be a, an amazing thing for someone to say, and they, they loved God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength and all their mind? Now, that, that, would, be a, that, would, be, that would be a phenomenal tribute to a person who loved Jesus. To, to be able to have somebody say, I mean, they just loved God. And it was, it was easy to see. I just think that it's something that we can, frankly, aspire to that is worthwhile versus what we typically aspire to. I know I'm guilty of aspiring to things that, man, after this life, who cares? What kind of character do you want to have? What kind of person do you want to be? How do you want to be seen? How do you want to be remembered? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? You want people to think of you as somebody who just loved God, loved life because you loved God? Those are questions I think that we can ask and God can answer, and then we can begin to see ways to pursue what would be best for glorifying God. Does that make sense? And I think when we are becoming more like Christ, then we're becoming Jesus followers that people can recognize and we're loving God with all our soul. The worship team would come on up. So what is your aspiration? What lasts? Certainly not a lot from this life. Souls last. Lives lived for Jesus lasts. Loving God with all our soul, I would say, is a worthy aspiration and worth living and a, um, a, a legacy worth leaving. So what can you do? Just a personal question. What can you do? What changes, if any, do you need to make to love God with all your soul, with all your life? Father, we, um, we see these as pretty heavy things kind of a little confusing, kind of difficult to understand. 
until we just think about loving you with our life. And then I think, at least for me, that kind of clears up some of the confusion. What is my life looking like? Am I pouring out my life for you or am I pouring it into a whole lot of things that aren't going to mean anything in eternity? And yet we can't accomplish anything without you. Like We can't love you with all our soul if you're not the one loving through us, if you're not the one filling us. But somehow there is this tension between you doing the work and us surrendering so that you do the work. We've got to participate. We've got to participate in what you're doing, allowing you to work through us instead of setting up roadblocks. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to surrender, to be humble, to surrender, to continually seek your face, and to allow you to use us up any way you choose. Paul said it really well, that his life was being poured out. And his life was being poured out in service to you. God, I pray you'll help us to not get so self-centered that we fail to pour out our lives for you, that we short-circuit what you're working through us on uh, in, in order to serve ourselves. It's easy to do. It's easy to get caught up into that trap instead of just being available and allowing you to pour yourself into us so that it flows out of us to others in service to you. We'll get into those things. I know in a couple of weeks when we talk about serving others, but I pray you'll help us to see how our lives can be so in tune with yours that we are fully engaged in you and our lives are all about you more than anything else. We pray for your wisdom in that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.